0: God, turn with me to the book of Philippians, the fourth chapter, and came down and impressed on me that some of you need a touch from him, all of us need a touch from him, but a special touch. So as I felt directed by the Lord, I was led to Philippians the fourth chapter, verse 19, which is such a beautiful passage of Scripture that we have spoken on, and you've heard it read and quoted in testimonial services and different uh, special services, probably as much as Acts 2.38. But I want to read it. But my God shall. My God shall, let's say shall together, shall, my God shall. Now that's very positive, isn't it? That means that He will not fail you. My God shall supply. Let's say the word supply. Supply. Let's say it again. Supply. What do you think of when you think of supply? What do you think of? You ever gone into a supply house? What would you think of if you went into a supply house and there were no supplies there? Now we're using the word supply as a noun. Here is a verb. Our God shall do what? Supply. That simply means He will give to you everything that you need according to what? The amount that's in the storehouse. Praise God. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, I wrote down several things that I felt that that, uh, some of you uh, needed to hear and i want to go through these with you and as i go through these with you i do not want any of the words that i speak today to come as words of condemnation but words of encouragement sometimes the very positive things that you hear in testimonies and that you read in the word of god does not build faith like it should But sometimes people feel very discouraged when they hear it. Now, for an example of that, the more often you come to the altar for prayer, for healing, or anything, the harder it is for some people to believe God. They say, well, I've been down to the altar 14 times already. And I just don't feel that... My need will be met. Men go out and they look for jobs. And they, they've checked on jobs at, at every place in town that would take an application. And after they've checked on jobs at all these places and they've been turned down, it's hard for them then to believe that there is a job that's available. Maybe we should just start there some of the men of our congregation are looking for jobs. Now, I have always felt that God wanted men to work. And when you search any scripture, you must first, after finding certain things, place yourself in the category as a recipient of the blessing. Some people, they can believe for healing for somebody else, but not themselves. Some people can pray for other people and see their needs supplied. But for some reason, they just can't believe that, that, that God really cares about them. Do you know that God does care about you? There is not one person on this earth that God does not care care about he loves every person but some people have complexes they they they've lived with criticism and 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 they have been uh over the uh, number of years burned or become embittered in certain situations and and they get they develop a complex they don't feel that god really does love them that god really cares for them Oh, yes, he does. He cares for every person that's here. So let's just uh, talk about this job situation to start with, and we'll go on to something else. Now, everything that I say about this is not designed, or none that I say is not designed for discouragement, but all for encouragement. Encouragement. So if you're sitting here and you've been checking on jobs, and several of you have, and you haven't found them, we're not saying this as criticism to you. But we are giving you the foundation of the Word of God that will serve as encouragement to you. Now what does the Bible say concerning employment? A good place to start would be 1 Timothy 5. Now these words are very strong. Please understand that these words are very strong. 1 Timothy 5 verse 8. Notice what the scripture says. But if any provide not for his own... And especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. Now, you notice what the Scripture is saying. That's pretty strong. Now, the reason why I told you, don't become discouraged. Because when you read a commandment like that, it's easy for you to say, dear me. I'm looking for employment, and I haven't been doing what I'm supposed to do. I am worse than an infidel. Now just buckle your seatbelt and wait till we search out other scriptures. See? Now notice what the scripture says, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house. Now that the scripture is simply saying that a man who is the provider should provide for his own, especially those of his own house. Now when it says, especially those of his own house, it does mean that your obligation goes beyond your own household. Now if you can't take care of your own household, not even your own household, it pretty well cuts off all of the needs of people outside of your own household. When it says his own, that simply means those people who are connected to you. Uh, James says if a man see a brother or a sister in need and he goes to that brother and, or that sister and he says uh, uh, peace be unto you and uh, grants them God's speed and such and he leaves them having enough uh, for himself to help supply that and he doesn't help supply that need. The Bible says that that you have actually done him no good at all. And he says, now this is a test of your faith. Now we're getting into something that's pretty heavy here. But every working man should understand that there's a portion of your paycheck that does not, it was not intended to be used exclusively on just your household. But for other people who are in need. See, the whole point of Christianity is not how much you can get, but how much you can give. You may say, but if I give it all away, I won't give it, get it. I won't have enough in, to supply my own needs in return. That's not true. The Bible says, give and it shall be given unto you. You see, what happens is, if you're not careful, you cut off the very hand that feeds you. See, that's the logic that's used in the scripture. Now the Bible says that you should provide for your own, and especially those of your own house. Now, if a man is lazy and he will not work, that simply means that he has denied the faith. In other words, he's irresponsible. He is worse than an infidel. Now, you know what an infidel is? Anybody have any idea? Tell me what an infidel is. Somebody raise their hand and just tell me. Okay, Sister Diane. An infidel is a non-believer. simply means he does not believe in a God. Now, the only thing that's worse than that in the Bible is a reprobate. That's the only thing that you can find in the Bible that's worse than an infidel is a reprobate. Now, I wouldn't want to be in that category. Now, follow through with this. Now, don't become discouraged if you've been checking on jobs and things, okay? We want you to use this in a very positive way. Now, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. The third chapter. Let's, uh, back up to about the ninth verse but as touching brotherly love ye need not that i write unto you for ye yourselves are taught of god to love one another do you love your brother if you don't love your brother you don't love god now you may say i love god And you may have some feelings toward your brother, but you really don't love God like you think you love God. Because that's the test in the scripture to find out if you love God. How can you love God in which in whom you've never seen and you don't love your brother who you do see? All right. Now, verse ten and indeed you ought to do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, That ye increase more and more. Now, the cross was not designed to make people millionaires. But there are some benefits in serving God. Praise the Lord. I say there are some benefits in serving God. Now, verse 11, And that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business. Now, if you, if you know of a brother or a sister that's not employed and you think they're lazy and such, it's not your job to go straighten them out. The Bible says, mind your own business. When's the last time you studied to be quiet? I mean, if you just sit around all day and say, I'm not going to open my big fat mouth for any reason. Not that I'm trying to be stuck up or smart or anything like that. Snobbish, I just been talking too much. (laughs) All right, that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands. How many of you brought your hands to church? You know what these hands are made for? Made for work. All right. Now, why. Should you work. Now Paul says. As we command you. Now notice what he says. That you walk honestly toward them that are without. Now work. That you walk honestly. That simply means that an honest man. He's going to pay his bills. If he owes somebody something. He's going to go to him. Boy if there's anything that gets under my skin. You know it's like gravel in a shoe to me is to see somebody who will not pay what they owe. And occasionally, now I said none of this was designed to be discouraging. Let's let this, this, this be the exception, okay? Let's just let this really hurt, okay? If you owe a bill and you will not face up to it and you won't pay it, You ought to feel so bad that you pull down your shades and not even look out the window until you clear it up with God and then you get enough backbone to go and tell them, whoever it is, I don't have money to pay you. Okay, that you walk honestly toward them that are without. That's talking about people outside the church. And that you may have lack of nothing. Isn't that great? That's, that's where God wants you. Now, let's turn to Second Thessalonians 3. Second Thessalonians 3, verse 10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if you would not work, Neither should he eat. Now, verse 11. For we hear that there are some who walk among you disorderly. That simply means people who won't work. Working not at all, but they are busybodies. Now we should study to be what? Quiet. Study to be what? Quiet And to do what? Mind our own business and work with our hands. Now, we have men in our congregation who are unemployed. That does not mean that any of you have a right to look at an unemployed individual and say, What's wrong with him? How come he won't work? Now, to those who are unemployed, this is what I want you to do. Listen to me. God never commands you to do something that is impossible. Now, for an example, the Bible says the gospel of the kingdom must be preached unto all the world for a witness. Then shall the end come. And one of the greatest discouragements that a lot of churches experience is this. We have evangelized and evangelized and evangelized. We can't reach our own city. And so after a while they give up. But you see, God never told us to do anything that's impossible. Now, that simply means then that whatever God tells you to do, it takes a measure of faith to fulfill that. But if God told you to do it, and if God wants you to do it, and in this case He does because the Bible uses very strong language against people who won't do it, that simply means then you need to lay that need before God and say, now God, if you tell me to do it, then you're going to have to open up a door in which I can do it. Now, you never told me to do something I couldn't do. Because that wouldn't be fair. But if you tell me that I need to do it, then you show me where to do it. And you show me how to do it. And I will do it. See the strong language used in the Bible. Is used against people who just won't do it. See. Not talking about the man who is trying. His best to trust God. And trying to do everything he can do. We have brethren here. Who are unemployed. That are not lazy. I mean they come over to the church and work. And give time and. Some have called me up and said, I want to come out your house and work. I need to do something. I'm just, I've checked on job, and I'm not going to sit. Well, this is the type of individual I'm talking about. But every time you put in an application for a job, just believe that God's going to help you. Why? Because He tells you to do something, and what you're doing right now, you are just manifesting faith. That God's going to meet that need. He shall supply all your need. If the scripture says that this is your responsibility. Now you must believe that somehow it's going to become available for you to do it. So let the strong commandment, the stronger the commandment, the more encouragement you should feel. Because God, when he uses strong, strong, strong language, it simply means he wants you to do it. So you see, he's behind you, and he's wanting you to believe him much more than perhaps you think he wants you to believe him. But he never asks you to do anything that's impossible. So the best thing to do is lay on the altar before God. And say, here it is, Lord. You must meet this need. You know, the Bible says concerning the Lord, try me, test me. And God sometimes wants us to test Him or to try Him. That simply means that, that you go to God and say, now, Lord... Now, you promised to pr- provide all my needs, and I have done my part. Now, what's wrong? Not that you're commanding anything of God. It might be he comes back and says, but you haven't done your part. You know, he could do that. Because, you know, if a man just sits at home, he, he's not going to inspire somebody to call you up and offer you a job. Now, he might do it if you're out looking for a job and you're really trying. You see, I've always had this particular feeling about God. When you sit down, he sits down. But when you get up, he gets up. And remember this, that our God is a God that never slumbers nor sleeps, the Bible says. And that simply means... That when you get up, he gets up. But he can outwork you. He can go places you can't go. You see, when you retire at night, he keeps on working. But the moment you sit down and become derelict in your responsibilities, he sits down too. And I feel that same way about world evangelism. When the church is getting up on its feet and the church is doing all that the church can do, the Holy Spirit continues to work in the blackness of the night in places that people can't go. But you let a church sit down and nobody comes and visits that church. The Holy Ghost sends nobody by. But you can get up and you can go invite 50 people to church and maybe none of them comes that you invited. But a whole lot of other people will come. Why? Because when you got up, God got up. But when you sit down, He sits down. Because a church that's sitting down, they're not capable of playing people through the Holy Ghost if they come. And they could care less if they got the Holy Ghost if they did come. So if you're searching and seeking and and such, let all of these strong commandments in the Bible be encouragement to you that God never intended for me to do something I could not do. So I just simply lay all these applications on the altar before you and say, now God, I have gotten up and I've done everything I can do. Now I'm trusting and praying and believing that the door will open. I know it will because you never told me to do something I cannot do. I remember when we first moved, I use myself as an example, and some of you have heard some of these stories, but I remember when we first moved to Shawnee. I quit a a job and a church and, and everything in Texas and and I moved up here, and I spent a lot of money coming, and and used the remaining part of uh, the money that I had sold a brand new house uh, from, and I used it on the down payment of of a building in Shawano, and, and here we were, we, we rented a place, and I didn't have a job, and I was running out of money, and we had some people who came to our church, and they were on welfare, and they realized we had a need, so they brought a lot of commodity food in and such. And got down to where, you know, and I was checking on jobs. I was trying. I was doing everything I knew to do. And I just, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. I remember one day I went down to the basement. Oh, I was so discouraged. Oh, my discouragement. I was really discouraged. And so... Um, uh, I got down there and I began to pray and and I told the Lord I said no Lord I'm not lazy I just can't find anything and I moved in January and of course I had been building homes and such and and uh, they don't build too many homes in Wisconsin in January they don't start them at all and it was just uh, it was cold cold and I didn't know what to do and uh, several meals I mean we just we just ate peanut butter and crackers and I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. And the kids were in school. We need lunch money. And oh, we moved up here. We had no boots, no heavy coats. And oh, what am I going to do? And I just really prayed. I sought God. I said, God, you've never told me to do one thing I can't do. Now, I'm not lazy. But I have done everything I know to do. And I, I don't want to move back. I don't even have enough money to get out of town let alone get back to Texas now what am I going to do so I told my wife I said I'll tell you what let's do let's let's take a, a trip down to Clintonville I haven't tr- checked on a job in Clintonville so we went down there and I went to four-wheel drive and I just walked in there and and I filled out I said I'd like to fill out an application she said well we're not hiring I said well I I said, I'd like to fill out an application anyway, if you don't mind. And she said, uh, okay. So I filled out an application. She looked at it, and she said, well, just wait a minute. So I sat there. She went in. She came back said, the personnel director is tied up right now, but he looked at your application, and uh, he wants you to start to work. Just like that. Now, the car was still running because it was so cold. Sister Graham was out in the car waiting. And so... I said, well, when would you like me to start to work? She said, in the morning. See, I'd worked at uh, Letourneau in cooperation in Longview, and I worked as a pattern maker and such, and they needed someone there at four-wheel drive. Somebody had just retired or quit or something. So uh, I said, well, okay. And uh, she said, uh, you come on to work, and, and, and we'll provide Uh, Make arrangements for you to go take a physical after you work today. So we need somebody real bad. They were building some fire trucks and they had a deadline on getting them out. So I went back, got in the car, and uh, we started down the road. And I had this big smile. And Sister said, what are you smiling about? I said, I'm starting to work in the morning. She said, You're not starting in the morning. Now you can't. I said, I am. She said, You were not in there long enough even for an interview. I said, But I'm starting. She would not believe me. And I went back home, and uh, I went downtown. I said, I don't have any work clothes. we got to go buy work clothes. And she was not convinced. She was not convinced that I had a job until I bought some work clothes. But I had to have a pair of work clothes and some, some boots. And I went, and, and we had that was just the last of our money. Now, let me tell you. When I was in the basement praying that day, and the only way that I could have worked two weeks without a a job was that while I was in the basement praying, the mailman came and placed something in the mailbox. And when I went upstairs and looked in the mailbox, there was a letter there from two sisters in Texas, and they had sent me a $100 check. I didn't even know that those sisters had any idea where I was or what I was doing. It was a mother and a daughter, and they met every day at a certain hour for prayer. They lived not in our home city, but a city nearby our home city. And this is what they said, while we were in prayer, the Lord impressed us to send you one hundred dollars it was just enough for me to buy gasoline and to buy some work clothes and work boots and start on that job that God gave me. Praise God. Praise God. God. And you see, God sees your need. God knows your need. Now that will not mean that you will never be tested nor tried. But it does mean this that if you hold on to him and you have faith, he will not let you down. Praise God. I'm not going to ask how many of you need a job right now, because we're going to all raise our hands. But if we raise our hands, you who need a job, I want you to lift your hands and I want you to say, thank you God for that job, wherever it is. Let's all lift our hands together. Praise God. We're not trying to embarrass anybody. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God, praise God. All right. Just believe the Lord that He's going to do that. Praise God. You have a need and God will meet that need. Now I want to talk about healing. We have several people in our congregation who need to be healed. You need to be healed. Sister Bryant came this morning with a migraine headache. She's had these headaches for a long time. Now, I know what they're like because when I first moved here, I had migraine headaches so bad that I could not stand myself at times. Really. Really. Right after I moved here, and of course I'd had migraine headaches since having a heat stroke in Texas. But there were a couple of times that Sister Grant got on the phone and called some of the brothers of the church. And they came out to the parsonage and prayed for me. I had a headache so bad that I actually thought I was dying. A couple of times I came within just a gnat's breath of telling her to call the ambulance. I thought I was dying. Really. And some of you brothers have been to the parsonage, and you know I meant so bad I'd go vomit and vomit and vomit and until I couldn't vomit anymore. And my head just killed me, and Sister Grant would put a wet, cold towel on my head, and nothing would help. Nothing. Just a splitting headache. I had no idea what was causing it. I thought maybe... The weather or something, because every time I had a headache, Sister Brian had a headache. It was always on days when we had hot, humid weather like we had yesterday, and perhaps even today. But I remember very distinctly, looking in the Scripture, and I made a thorough search of the Scripture... And I came to the conclusion, God wants me to be healed of this headache. I was over in Racine one day, and I was over there to preach. And I had such a headache, I said, I told Brother Sisko, I said, there is no way that I can preach. And he said, well, Brother Grant, we got this special service, and you're the guest speaker. I said, listen, I am so sick. And he called around to a few of the brothers who were in the church at that time in the building and they just came in the auditorium and he lay hands on me and prayed. Now it was not an instant healing. It didn't it it was not just like that. But I went home to his house, I stretched out on the bed and took a nap, and when I awoke now I got enough relief to go to sleep. I did not have that migraine headache, and I have not had a migraine headache since. Now, I've had headaches, but not migraine headaches. See. Now, there were a couple of things that I discovered in the Scripture that I want to share with you, that I feel, that is very, very important. I think God heals a lot of people, and they don't understand exactly what's happening to them, and they become discouraged and what should be a builder of faith becomes a discouraging thing to them. Now, James, the fifth chapter, and of course, I'm sure all of you could quote this scripture. Who'd like to try to quote James five fourteen? Do I see a hand? All right. Brother Rich Thomas, real loud. Got a couple of little things turned around there, but uh, it's all there exactly like he said. He just got one phrase in front of the other. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now notice the logic that James uses. Now I like the book of James because it uses so much logic. Now when I say logic, you see when Paul evangelized, he went into marketplaces he went into religious shrines and he reasoned according to the word of God. Now, logic can get you in trouble unless it's spiritual logic. The spiritual mind. Now, what he does, his, his logic, and I've already quoted some of it today, how can you say that you believe God when you won't help your brother? You know, I talked about helping people. He said, you have earthly needs. You won't give it to your brother. You tell him, now God will meet your need, but you're afraid to give it to him because you don't think God will meet your need. He said, now faith without works is dead. He said, you say you have faith. You don't have faith. Now, this is his logic about healing. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, yet he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth for a space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain. And the earth brought forth her fruit. Now what he's saying is, now if there's any sick among you, call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil. Now the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and God shall raise him up. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. His logic is this. Elijah, as much as you don't like to admit it, was not a superstar. He was a man just like you. That's what he's saying. He's no different from you. As much as you think he was a great super man of faith. He said he was a man of like passion as you. He just like you. Sometimes you read about Bible characters and you think. Oh but if I were like him. He said forget it. He's just like you. Now what did he do? He prayed that it might not rain. And it didn't rain for three years and six months. And he went and prayed again. And guess what happened? It rained. Oh, that that man was a man of faith. But he's saying, he was no different from you. If you have a sickness, call for the elders of the church. Let them take oil and let them anoint you. Now, when they're all there praying and believing, just understand that God's Word says you can be healed and believe it and accept it. Now, I like for you to turn to First Corinthians 14. Now, this is dealing with spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, pardon me, uh, First Corinthians 12. This is dealing with spiritual gifts. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Now, let's stop there and move on down to verse 8. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another divers kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and self same Spirit dwelling to every man severally as it will. Now, I personally believe that when you have the Spirit of God inside of you, that that Spirit that's in you, that's resident, that lives in your heart, if you've been baptized with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance, you have been born of the Spirit, that Spirit is resident in your heart, and all of the spiritual gifts are inside of you simply because that they are all of the Spirit. When you get the Spirit, you get everything that the Spirit has. Now, some people don't use certain gifts because they cannot or will not manifest enough faith to use them. Okay? Now, one of the spiritual gifts is the gift of faith. Another spiritual gift is the gift of miracles. Another spiritual gift is the gift of healings. Now, when we consider all three of those spiritual gifts, in many cases, they appear to overlap. In other words, here's a man who needs a job. And you manifest extreme spiritual faith in the commandments of God along with the entire congregation. You go out and bingo, you got a job. You know the Lord worked for you. Now, the gift of faith, as I can see it in the Scripture, is used on things outside of bodily needs. But when it comes down to the body and the needs of the body, there are two miracles, or two gifts rather, that are used. The gift of miracles and the gift of healing. Now, the gift of miracles, you can find it in the Bible several places. An example of that is when Peter and John prayed for the man at the gate called Beautiful. Now, they didn't anoint him with oil. They just simply walked up to him, and Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk! And he took him by his right hand and just literally picked the man up. Now, it didn't take him three months to be healed. He was healed instantly right then and there. Now that's a miracle. Now a miracle simply means that it happens instantly. It goes against all the grains of the of the natural. It takes place on the moment. Right then and right there. But if you notice in the spiritual gifts, he mentions the gift of healing. Or healings. Now, there must be a difference in the two gifts. If there were not, then we would have no need of two. But you see, resident in the Spirit of God... There is the gift of healings and the gift of miracles. Miracles, as we explained, takes place right then and there. Well, what about healing? Now, I have not had a migraine headache in a long time. But when Brother Sisko and those brethren prayed for me, I felt no surge of God's power flowing through me. I felt none of that. But immediately my headache got better. I went to rest. When I woke up, I didn't have it. And I haven't had it since. Now that is a healing. You see, healing is progressive. A miracle happens on the spur of the moment. You remember Brother Oggs talking about his condition? And you remember how he said that the doctor said he wouldn't walk again, he wouldn't do this, and he said, now I'm not really for sure, uh, you know, and he went into to all of uh, his explanation there. In other words, what he was saying, I'm not really for sure what happened. Now, I'm not trying to say that I know what happened, but I've seen this happen so many times in people's lives Now, the body will heal itself in many cases, but not all times. God has put healing power in the body. But sometimes things are invoked, put into, injected into our system... That is impossible for the body to overcome. Now, when that takes place, when we pray for you, it might be that God will heal you on the spur of the moment. We use the word heal. That He will deliver that's in your system that your body cannot overcome, it is removed by God right then and the body begins to heal itself. Now that's the gift of healing. In other words, whatever is in the body is removed and you're healed over a period of time. Now, I prayed for a lot of people, and I said, are you, do you feel healed? Well, I feel a whole lot better than I did, but I can't understand what's taking place. If you're prayed for, you should right then and there declare the touch that God ha- give, will give you, because the Bible says that it will do, that he will do that. By his stripes we were healed. If, while you're praying, It does not happen right then and there. Don't leave discouraged. Now, as far as I can see, and you can turn with me to the book of Mark. The 16th chapter. I know we're spending a little time on this, but what we're going to cover today, we're going to cover well. And what we don't have time to cover, we'll cover it some other time. Mark the 16th chapter. Now, this is the Great Commission. Verse 14, afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat, and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick. Now this is making reference to James 5.14. Peter did not lay hands on the man by the gate called beautiful. The gift of miracles that takes place does not need the laying on of hands. But you notice in the gift of healing what happens. Notice this. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall what? Recover. They shall what? Recover. Let's say it together. They shall what? Recover. And as far as I can see in the Scripture, and according to the original Greek, it simply means they shall recover. Now that means that it's progressive. That it doesn't always take place Right then and there. But you lay hands upon the sick, and when they leave, they may not be 100% well. They may be 20%. An hour later, they may be 50%. Two hours later, they're 75%. And the next morning, they are totally recovered. Now sometimes... We kind of hang our head in shame because somebody was prayed for and they get up out of a wheelchair but they didn't walk quite as straight as they should have. And we say, oh no, but in the Bible they always were healed instantly on the spot. I don't believe that. You will find out also this was true when they prayed for people that that were possessed with devils and such. It speaks of the same hour and such. Sometimes we think they just said, get out of him leave him alone. As far as I can determine by the Scripture, that means that within a period of whatever is specified there, the man was delivered. You see, those New Testament Christians had struggles like we have. Some of them couldn't find jobs. That's why it's in the Bible. Some of them had problems with healing. That's why James appeals to their logic and said, wait a minute. Some of you have prayed and prayed and sought God, and we've laid hands upon you. But please remember this, that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elias was a man of like passion as well as we, yet he prayed that it would not rain for a space of three years and six months, and it rained not upon the earth for a space of three years and six months. And after that, friend, there appeared in the clouds, or the sky, there appeared a cloud like unto a man's hand, and Elias said, I've got to get the word to Ahab that it's going to rain. And somebody said, get on board, and we will take you over there. Get on our horses. And... Elijah says, no, I've got to get there in a hurry. And so he outran the horses for 20 miles, and he delivered the message, it's going to rain, it's going to rain, and it's going to rain. And when it rained in Israel, and the earth brought forth its crop or its fruit. And he says, why, you people who can't believe God for healing, why, you, you're just like that man back there. There's no difference. But sometimes we feel, oh, the New Testament church, they just they had no struggles. They were so empowered with the Holy Ghost. Friend, you've got the same Holy Ghost that they had 2,000 years ago. If you've been baptized in Jesus' name, and you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, and you talk in tongues like they talked in tongues, friend, you've got the same God that they have. When you're baptized with the Holy Ghost, it's impossible to get any more God than that. Because the word baptized simply means you are filled up and you're running over. And you can't get any more spirit than that. And what he's doing, he's appealing to the logic, to the spiritual mind of those people to whom he addresses. And he says, now wait a minute, all you've got to do is just believe God. Take the spirit you have and use it and believe God. Some of you have afflictions and things in your body. Praise God. Now, Brother Grant's not standing here to say that I don't ever struggle. I struggle just like you. And when I'm struggling, you come up and tell me, Brother Grant, oh, I'm praying for you. Then I get my healing, I come up to you and say, oh, I'm praying for you. But don't let it be discouraging to you. We prayed for you, just go away believing God's going to heal me. But healing is progressive. It might be we'll lay hands on you and there'll be a charge from heaven like a bolt of lightning that flows through your soul. You know, when I received the Holy Ghost, I had a stomach ulcer. You've heard my testimony. I had lost so much weight, I weighed less than 120 pounds. I knew I was going to die. But when I received the Holy Ghost, you know what happened to me? I got right up right then and there. I felt a surge of God's Spirit through me, and I declared that I had been delivered from that stomach ulcer. It was April 15, 1961. I went straight down to my mom and dad's house out in uh, the yard underneath the tall pine trees on a good warm spring day I went through a line. They were having a, an anniversary party for my mom and dad. I went through the line. I got a half a barbecue chicken, and I got all kinds of, of greasy foods and things that I couldn't eat before, and I went over and sat down, and I ate it, and I didn't have the stomach uh, problems that I have had, I did have, and I haven't had them since, and I started gaining weight. In fact, I gained so much weight, now I'm dieting. But you know, when he healed me of migraine headaches, it wasn't that way. I felt no special touch. I felt nothing. But I felt a little bit better a little later, enough to lie down and go to sleep. And then when I woke up, it was gone. I preached that night. Praise God. Now let me tell you something about that night. When I preached that night, there was a girl who had broken her leg during the construction of that new building over there. She's fourteen years old. She was a daughter of the contractor. She came down to the altar that night, and I simply lay hands on her and prayed for her, and she started jumping around on that, that cast. Well, she had just broken that leg. And she told everybody she was healed. You know what she did? She went home and had her dad to saw that cast off. Well, what happened was, her dad got to thinking about the insurance and such. So he called the doctor and said, I may have done a stupid thing, but I I saw my daughter's cast off. Said, you did what? <laughs> well, so we had this service and, Preacher prayed for her, and we believe she's healed, but I thought I should report what I had done. He asked her to bring her in. She was walking on this. Uh, He took her in, and they x-rayed her foot, or the leg, rather. It was in the ankle, I'm not for sure, foot or ankle or right above. And the doctor says, "Why that thing is back together. It's grown back together. Now it didn't take two or three days. It didn't. In fact, it happened right then and there. Right then and there, my mother was getting out of a car. Oh, I got so much to cover yet. I don't think I'm gonna be able to cover it all. My mother was getting out of a car, and it was in a shopping. Uh, uh, I wouldn't say mall, but a shopping uh, center, real small one. You remember where Seven Eleven was? There, and she was getting out of uh, a car there at Seven Eleven in Henderson, and uh, there was a, a car that was backing up and didn't even look around. And my mother had her leg outside of the door, and the door was like this. And the the car came and closed that door with her leg hanging out. They tried, and they tried, and they tried to open the door. And my mother was in a lot of pain, and she simply prayed. And they pried that door open. And, of course, my mother was always a great believer in healing. And, uh, you know, the ambulance came, the paramedics and the police and everybody, and they said, take her to the hospital. She said, no, I want to go by my pastor's house and pray for her. I said, oh, you'll lose that leg. It would just squeeze right down to the bone. She went by the pastor's house, Brother Ennis Fuller, who was our pastor for a long time, lay hands on her and prayed for her. She still had a lot of pain. She hobbled away. Within a day, my mother was working back out in the fields, no pain. the bruise was getting was clearing up. She never went to the doctor within just a matter of just a short period of time. Now she was not healed right then. I remember a boy from India who was a Muslim that came where I was working and he said, if you believe in healing, why do you have this big problem with your eye? For about a month, I'd had a big problem with, with an eye. It was swollen. I thought I had allergies. I wasn't for sure. All around the top and the bottom, it was swollen. looked like it had pus in it. And uh, he said, uh, you've been talking to me about your, your God and all this. I said, Why are you having such a problem with your eye? Well, when he walked out, that bothered me. And, of course, I was busy working. And I kept working, but all day long it bothered me. I went home, and I said, now, Lord, now, you know, I know that you heal, and I've had this problem, and I've been telling everybody, but I I want you to do something. No, I really want you to do something, God. And right while I was praying, believe it or not, I pulled my hand down like this, and my hand was full of pus. I could hardly believe it. I went to the bathroom and washed all this off. I could not find a place where that thing had bursted. I went back to work the next day. It was totally well. And when this young man from India, his last name was Sheik, when he walked around the corner, he looked at me and he looked at my eye. And he just turned and departed without saying a word. (laughs) Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I have several other subjects I wanted to cover, but I'm not going to be able to cover them. But let me tell you something. It does not make any difference what your need is. Maybe somebody here needs the Holy Ghost. Does the Word of God say that you need the Holy Ghost? Yes, it does. Does it use strong language that you should receive it? The Bible says you will not be able to enter in the kingdom of God without it. Now that's as strong as you can get. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be what? You can't get any stronger in your vernacular than that. Now if God feels that strong about it, Then he wants to give it to you. And maybe we have somebody here who has received the Holy Ghost, but you know, things have become very mechanical. Now, I made up my mind a long time ago I would not leave the church. Now, the Bible says, in the moment you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. I'm going to tell you what happens. Any person here who has made up his mind that he will never leave the church. You're probably right. You probably won't. But the Bible says when you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. It's it's easy once you made up your mind. I'm here for good. It's easy then to sit back and say, well... I made up my mind now and things become so mechanical. You may never do anything that's wrong as far as open sin. You'll be just as true to your spouse as the most holy person that's ever lived. Your integrity will be so great that if you were to make one little mistake and tell a lie, you'd go make it right. You may do all of that. But deep down inside, because your mind is so made up, you may be drying up spiritually. You see, you can live for God so long that it becomes so habitual that you do everything out of habit. And yet you have a need To pray through again. And to speak with tongues again. And to receive the refreshing that comes from the presence of the Lord. It's mechanical. Now you're not witnessing as much as you used to. In fact, you're not witnessing at all. Now when you're sick, you just run to the clinic the first thing. I'm not against you going to the doctor and running to the clinic. But I am saying this. Listen to me carefully. You should never use Jesus Christ as your last resort. And some people only pray for healing when everything else has failed. I think your relationship with God should be paramount. It should be number one. Hallelujah. 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 And when you come to the house of God, you come because you realize you need the preaching and you need the fresh touch from the Lord. I will allow this thing to become mechanical. I'll put myself under every day lest by any means when I preach the gospel to others that I might become a castaway. You can backslide on a pew, brothers and sisters. And you appear to have all of your act together when deep down inside there is a need. Oh, hallelujah. I'd like for all of you to stand right now if you would. All over this building there are people who have needs. Some of these you've told to others. Some of you never told a soul about. It's not necessary that I know. Perhaps it's not even necessary that your brother or sister know. But if God is the supplier of the need, it's necessary that He knows. Praise God! What is your need right now? Some of you need a healing. If you if you need a healing and you want to have the brethren to pray for you and anoint you with oil, why don't you step right out? Would you come right over here and stand? I will not be able to move this around. Oh, there's so many people coming. I want to call for our elders. Many of them are teaching. Our elders and our ministers, why don't you come right now? Praise God. Praise God. Brother O'Neill. Praise God. Thomas. Brother Crowder. Now there's a number of people here, and here's what we're going to do. Brother Crowder, you and Brother Thomas, come over here. Each one of you, dip your finger in this bottle of oil. And just simply go and touch each person. And go the next one. And then we're going to start laying on hands. Hallelujah. Just start anointing all these people. And then we'll go lay on hands. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, God, dear God, dear God. Now, we got a lot of people up here, so take both hands. Lay one hand on one person and one on another. Let's simply believe God right now. You elders, put your hands right on their heads. Each hand on a different person. Now, I want you people to believe right now. But Jesus will heal you. Hello, Mohusha Karandala Mohutandala Mahala Mahata. hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Now if you need Bible salvation, if you need a job, if you have emotional needs, whatever it is, why don't you step out and come right down here. There is a